Service Transformation, Reinventing Service for Clients and Employees, hosted by Will Lombardi and Fred Jumbukeshwaran. Good day, everyone. Another exciting episode that Fred and I are bringing to you. And dare I say, awesome episode because we have an awesome guest. I'll introduce Yanira Adan Martinez here in a second. Today, we're going to talk about business process, one of the five components of a service transformation. Yanita is going to help us really understand this word process a little bit more with her experience. So a little bit about Yanita, and then I'll hand it off to her to spend some time talking about what she does and her passion around service. But Yanita is an MIT grad, so comes from those wicked smart schools. She's also over 20-year a leader in business and corporate America and worked in a very diverse background, whether it's in the computer industry or the financial services industry, and really focused on transformation and business process, other things around strategic management, people management, culture transformation. But the most important role is she's a mother of three. I don't know where she finds the time to do everything else, but Without further ado, I'd love to hand it over to you, Yanita. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Also, if you can, before we get into a lot of the content around business process, talk to us a little bit about service and what service means to you. Thank you for that. And I'm going to share two brief childhood stories about where I first started leaning into service and then how I define it. My first paying job just happened. When I was in high school uh, around 17, I was always really good at math and good at taking standardized tests. And there were a lot of kids who weren't passing the standardized tests and that was preventing them from advancing to their next school year. So they asked for volunteers to tutor. And I was doing that two to four hours on Saturdays, volunteering to tutor math. And after I think two or three months of doing it, then they just chose to start paying us. And I started making $4.25 an hour as a math tutor. But what I was providing that age was a service. There was a need, there was a gap and independent of pay, I've always been one that likes to pay it forward. And I was just doing it because it was a skill that I had. And there was a, an audience, right? A customer set that, that had that need. And then, yeah, eventually I started welcoming the 425 an hour, right? The other one, and I'm going to be a little vulnerable here in sharing is I grew up very low income and my dad used to go and sell tools and other things, typewriters at a flea market on Saturdays. And he'd bring me along to help him unload and load. And based on whatever the sales of the day were, I'd make 10%. And so I obviously I did it with a smile because I wanted to help my dad, but I knew that the more I'd help him sell, the more I'd be putting in my pocket at the end of the day. And again, providing a service to those who couldn't afford to buy tools at Home Depot or Lowe's, but, came, but who come to buy them secondhand. So with that, I'll shift to how do I define service? To me, service is the, an organization's opportunity to keep their promise to their customers, clients, or members. And I use those three because mm -hmm. different organizations... Oh tend to refer to their like end user, right? Like their end client in different terms. Throughout our talk today, I may say customer, I say I may say member and I may say client, but at the end of the day, that's who it is. And an organization's need to transform is important because that is how that service keeps advancing based on that end user's expectation. At, if I can, man, I'm smiling and I know to your point, our audience can't see us, but it's powerful, just the word promise. And the other thing, the way you turned it into, you humanized it. Sometimes we get into these academics, these theories, these hypotheticals, if you would. But just the way you describe that, I'm and I'm listening, it's you're humanizing it. 
And that word promise is such an impactful word and that I know you're going to help us unpack today. So thank you for that. That's that, that was a powerful story. Before we go in, any anything else you want to highlight or, or, or a little bit more about yourself? Sure. I Last summer, I traded in my corporate badge to turn myself into an independent transformation consultant, keynote speaker, and executive coach. I did have a wonderful career with both USAA and HP. I started off, my first corporate job was an IT intern in the Bay Area at Hewlett-Packard's headquarters in Palo Alto. And talk about the garage and for other techies listening to us, like this probably brings memories to them, how people can start in just a garage, right? Identifying what need is out there and how can we help close it? And I ultimately fell in love with USAA's mission. And after going to school in Boston, living in the West Coast and trying to get back to Texas, I looked for an organization whose mission could bring the best out of me in the next years of my leadership career. And working for USA was almost like working for a nonprofit, such a noble mission, serving those who serve. And through my 15 years there, I got an opportunity to work in IT and um, HR, marketing, operations. And so I've lived through the multiple functions and the end-to-end -end of both the member impacting processes and the back offices interactions. And I am going to be pulling examples from all of those different types of experiences as we deep dive today into process, operational excellence, and service transformation. Love it. So you need to tell me a little bit about why business process is so important, like help help set the table for all of us here on the episode We've listed it as part of our five-point framework, but I'd love to hear your perspective on why it's so important to a service transformation. Yes, and just to ground our listeners who maybe have missed some of the previous uh, episodes, I'm going to re-mention what those five components are. And you, you have talent, culture, process, tech, and data. And I like to think that process, a process view or a business process map is a container that pulls all of these together, right? So if we use the house analogy, which I know it's someone everyone can relate to, right? We could either use baking a cake or playing sports. We'll stick to uh, the construction of a house for this one. The business process is like a blueprint of what you're gonna be building. And you're gonna be overlaying into that blueprint what kind of skills you need to service it, who the what the client's requirements are going to be, what kind of technology you'll need to provide the service, and what are the data elements that are necessary to fulfill that business process, which ultimately translates into some kind of service request. Let me tell you why having a good sound understanding of your business processes or your business operations is so important. Through that understanding, not only will you know what is working well, what's not working well, where risks may exist, how you may need to mitigate them. You look at what are value-added or non-value-added steps. Oftentimes, people operate in silos. And when you start to draft and document a process map from end to end, you start to break down those silos and start to look at it horizontally. So as a business leader, like you want to understand the end to end of what you're accountable for and ensure that the upstream players who are handing things over to you are doing them with the right quality, the right expectations, the right requirements. And that as you are sending the output of your process downstream, that you are doing it in the most viable way without any waste in the system and that it's high quality. And so let me give you guys an example of that. Um, once did a time, you know, when I was in HR, what I called a lift and shift 
from a legacy system to a new system of what our former HR services and processes were into this new quote unquote shiny object. One thing that failed was we did not streamline and optimize the way that those HR services were operating first and then lifting and shifting them. So when we brought them over and we expected that because we were in a new technology, everything was just automatically gonna be better, it wasn't. So what did those HR professionals really need to do is the people that are in their desks, right? Managing the, the understanding of how to perform learning and development, how to recruit, how to hire, how to process payroll, for example, right? As a process example, they didn't streamline that. And so then the people on the front end, the actual recruiters, the actual HR service center specialists, they didn't have any kind of efficiencies. All they were doing was just using a new technology. And that's just one example of when it, how it could not go well. I, there's a couple of things working backwards there you need to use. First of all, you use the word silos. We used in our, our former episodes also as a business leader, embrace that you have silos. And if you've, at first step, you've got to come to that conclusion. Then if so, you're basically showing how a business process approach or a process approach will help you understand where those silos are in an objective way and where your opportunities are to integrate. And just your HR example you just gave and those the list of services you just went through, and I know there's more than you listed, I can imagine there was redundancy going on and unneeded work because people were working in their service silos, if you would, and not looking at what each other are doing. You always challenge yourself is what's triggering my work and what's the one or two steps ahead of my work and what's the one or two steps behind my work. If that's true, right, can you tell how you approach that and how that helps understand that you actually do have silos and now you have an opportunity to create better efficiencies and more integration? Yeah. So thank you for chiming in with that. When we look at that previous example I just shared, right, it obviously showed where things don't go well. Once we validated that the technology, you know, wasn't the answer, that we indeed needed to go and assess those processes further to understand what was working well and what wasn't, let's just pick and pull on like one metric, right? Because processes are, are always measured. They should be, right? And there are um, leading indicators, there's lagging indicators, but as a business leader, you better make sure that you know how to measure the value of what you're doing. And for us, one of those was the hiring cycle time, right? And any people leader out there has interviewed before and they know from the moment they identified that they had that business need for another person, they had to then identify like what skill sets, at what, what title, what level, where are we going to post it? Now there's this big question is, does it have to be in person or can it be remote, et cetera? And so- yeah. When we looked at that cycle time and you looked at all the different players, when the manager were involved, where executives had to approve the headcount, where the funding and budget was going to come, the actual posting, the approval of the rec, and then starting the process, getting to identifying the prospects and scheduling interviews and getting someone hired. Like we were taking more than 30 on average, maybe 45 to 60 days. And that's too long. By the time, let's just say, I'm going to pick on YouTube. By the time Will extends the offer at this like legacy company through this legacy processes, Fred already hired them and onboarded them. And as a competitive advantage, you want to understand your cycle time. You under you want to understand what are those steps in there that are the ones that have the, that are taking too long and how can you streamline them? So I love, love your example of, okay, as we're trying to improve this metric, this cycle time, we had to go look at the process, understand what is happening end to end, and then give us the opportunity to optimize it and how we 
couldn't, and at least my takeaway there is you can't really optimize that metric without understanding the process and all the things that it sits on top of. I love the example because we always we we tend to talk about client experience. It is also about the employee experience. And anyone in that service environment knows you gotta hire and retain talent. And that first impression from the employee experience standpoint of how I got recruited, how my onboarding went, it's really critical. It really creates an impression on you. And the way you explained USAA earlier, they made an impression on you on that onboarding and that recruiting, right? That mission purpose and so forth. To me, what I'm hearing from you is business process can really smooth that out for that potential employee or that new employee coming on. Again, business process can humanize your experience is basically what I'm hearing from you. You're moving me on to talk about something else that's very near and dear to my heart, Will, and that is the experience, right? Whether it's the employee experience or the customer experience, making sure that you're both using the input from the outside voice of the customer and that internal uh, voice of the business as well in creating that design will make sure that you're not just streamlining for cycle time, which reduces one thing, but that you're also improving the, the customer experience. If you think about a quote for a policy is you want to get them from quote to, to purchase. And then for purchase, you want to keep them within renewal. And what are the things that you're doing in there where the customer is having those good experiences? We like to call it in the process world, the happy path. When you process map it, you call it the happy path. And when you overlay experience and journey maps, you look at what are those moments of friction? What are those moments of friction? So, <clears throat> so you need a, you introduce a concept. You said, you mentioned journey maps experiences. What is a journey map? Can you define a journey map for all of us here and those listening? Yes, I'll, I'll give you Yanita's version of a definition. Is when you think of the beginning and the end of a process. Let's talk about claims, for example. There's a, a, a member, a customer has an accident. And the, whether they go to their device or they call you or they go to the website, there always has to be like this. It's, it's an omni-channel experience. It starts through a channel. And that journey map will take that into account is where did that first contact come from? The journey map would then kind of overlay what are all the sequences of steps of that interaction with that customer along the way of them notifying us about their accident, us gathering the information that we need to be able to move that claim along. And ideally, and I, I know at some point we have to talk about like, where's their process improvement versus process transformation, right? Is legacy experiences for the insurance world where there was a lot of questions and, and that journey map could have been really long, right? And maybe there was a lot of stuff where the customer had to speak with multiple people in different departments, right? Instead of streamlining it, digitizing it, and a true transformation like vision for a leader to want to do in this kind of space is how can we resolve that contact on one call, right? Or how can we ask five questions and not 30 questions on our mobile platform so that we can get them from claim to paid, right, in, in two days or in a day and not in four weeks. So to more directly answer your question, Fred, is that example I just gave on claims, we talked about the process flow, right, and the interactions that the business needs to be able to get all the necessary information to understand that the claim is valid, understand the total value of loss, right, and be able to issue a payment. If you overlay a journey map, the journey map is going to look at the customer's interactions. 
whatever channel it's going to be, again, it could be phone, it could be mobile, it could be on a website on a laptop, or for the those who have their insurance policies through the agent, they might actually show up in person to a storefront. To me, those are all channels. So the, the customer chooses which channel they're going to interact with. And when you look at the journey map from that point forward is from the customer's lens looking in. What are they doing? They say, I want to report my claim. I want to tell you about my accident. They say, I want you to pay me what you owe me and repair my vehicle and give me a rental, whatnot, right? Like they're looking at it from what they need and what they want. The business is saying, I need to understand what happened, where it happened, when it happened and their systems and their technology are capturing all these data elements, but it's from an inward out looking in. And that is what like the process flow would be looking like instead. So I think that is one distinction between a process map or a process flow and a journey map, right? The journey map is that user or customer experience lens. A good designer would capture in their cycle times, right, that this customer may be experiencing. They would also use little smiley face and sad faces that capture the where are moments to delight them and where are there moments to frustrate them. Uh, a big frustration point for any customer call is when they tell us, can you please hold? That's one. Or I'm going to need to transfer you. I really enjoyed hearing how you align a customer journey map which was great for you to define for us and also the business process. So to me, the way I heard that is your business process really helps you identify your internal processes that are enabling how you're serving the customer. And then your customer journey maps are showing you what the customer needs are and the preferences to your point in the claims example with the channel of preference. When you have those two working with each other, you get to see where those gaps are and, and that friction, that frustration, the two F words in business process and customer experience, you start really identifying the ones you need to eliminate. Is that, did I hear that right? You did, you did. And I'm going to, I'm going to stick to the um, claims examples and I'm going to bring both auto and property, right? Like when you have either a property loss or a, a home loss um, as an example and tie it to why service transformation is important and what tends to lead to it. So in the past, when someone had to provide evidence, right? Or proof that an accident happened and there was damage to the vehicle an adjuster had to show up, right? Eventually that got advanced and they're like, you can email us or up, you could email us pictures. And then take, there was a friction of the customer having to take pictures, put them on their laptop somehow, email them in or whatnot. Then we start building this spiffy, you know, uh, mobile apps. Now you could take the picture and click upload and it's there. So like you can do in seconds what in the past might've taken hours or, or, or days to accomplish. The same is happens when there's a natural disaster, a tornado or something like that. And there's property damage in the past. You had to wait for an adjuster to come. You had to wait for them to physically with their eyes, right? And that's because that was the internal process, but the customer experience was not very pleasant. It's, did you not see the news? Did you not know that this happened? Why am I having to provide X or Y? But also now is the fact that you've got drones, you've got all sorts of satellites that are able to provide images again within seconds. That removes that friction and that frustration from the customer experience, right? And that's where technology advancement leads to service transformations that makes both those processes more streamlined and those customer experience more pleasant. So, Yania, that's a really good example. And I think what that highlights is the importance of being intentional, importance of companies being really intentional about which channels they use for which purposes, make sure they're optimizing 
for that client experience and optimizing for their business. Yeah, and, and Which, the immediate next step is making sure that they're designing for measurability, right? To make sure that service transformation is effective, what are those key milestones and success measures that you need to be accomplishing along the way, right along that journey to make sure that it is being successful and also making sure that they live and breathe change management. And if they build that measurability, if they do the proper change management, they have a clear strategy and a clear vision, and then again, help to create those conditions, all of this will help to set that transformation up for success. So you need it. That sounds great. As all of us as leaders, that's the intent. That's what we want to do. But there's this internal challenge as a leader, at least that I always come across is I don't want to be that helicopter leader that just sits 20, 30,000 feet and just delegates and delegates. And I don't want to be that micromanager, but I have to show my team that I want to empower them. I want them to be curious. I want them to move things forward. And, but at the same time, I don't want to be disconnected and I don't. So are there approaches, ways that you've seen successful to actually get the outcomes you just described? Yes. And I'm going to, you guys brought me in here for being process minded, but I'm also very agile minded. And so I'm going to bring in this concept of agile delivery and agile planning into the mix is if a leader has established continuous planning and there are teams who are working on the solution design, right? And they've got quarterly planning. They probably have what we call demos where they are demoing the progress of their work. I would say as a leader, make sure that you make it a priority to show up to those ceremonies, right? Like where the teams are demoing the work that they're doing, their designs. And then you have an opportunity to ask questions, to recommend alternate points of view, to better understand it, to hear from them what's working well, what's not, where they may need your help and support because there's a role that you play in continuing to champion for them and continuing to uh, celebrate the successes of what is getting done. And when you think about change management and communication and measurability, you having these ongoing touch points with the teams that are doing the work, um, they better equip you with what is the messaging that you need to be sharing at different altitudes in your organization, right? To create the surround sound so to keep that short, you've got to show up, you got to celebrate the small wins, and then think bigger than your immediate team when you're creating the surround sound around your communications. Yanita, you mentioned cross-functional teams, and I think about my own experience, and I've seen how teams tackle some of these large transformational initiatives, these large change initiatives, and they often look at it like, okay, these are my tech requirements. Teams can also often jump in and just get started without really understanding the end-to-end. -end. They understand maybe a local part of the process, but not the whole picture. So how do you get teams to think about that full business process, looking in the end, and how do you as leader know they're doing it? When we think about delivering solutions, we can't do those in a vacuum. So the business process, the business oper you know, operations owner, they need to rely on the risk, legal compliance, data, tech partners to bring these experiences to life. So Fred, your example about IT is perfect. Is don't just come to me with requirements. Come to me with what is your overall problem? What are you trying to solve for? What is your strategy? What is your vision? And that way they can help to understand the process, understand what's working well, what's not, where the redesigns are necessary and how they can best leverage the different solutions. And I'll use air quotes here, right? Because there's usually a very large tech stack that can be leveraged to help to solve for those. And when you bring in, again, your risk, legal and compliance partners at the front end in the design, 
you're almost walking them through the process of understanding their requirements as well. So that when the solution is built, developed and launched, right, it's already ready for prime time. When you bring in these partners too late, they start to introduce requirements later and that usually triggers rework and we wanna minimize that. So you need to, let's stay on that one a little bit longer. One thing that I've seen done is when we're launching a big project or a big initiative is actually bringing folks from the business to sit down and walk through and explain their processes and end to the delivery team. Is that something you've seen? Is that something that's helped out? It's extremely valuable, Fred. And yes, even the fact of bringing in us and them instead of these being like joint teams sounds off to me. For the transformation or the service delivery to, to go well, these teams need to work together and it really needs to be business-led. I've seen where there are efforts or initiatives that are technology-led, right? And what they own is the systems. And so the business leader, the the, the person who owns that business process needs to be the one that's championing it. They're the ones that truly understand it end to end. They understand what frustrates the customer, what the customer needs are, how they measure value along the way. And having their IT partners at the table is really important. But everyone should start from the beginning. And I 100% agree with you that a good grounding and understanding of the end to end of the process that they're working on as a launching point is really important. And I know that we've talked about this being a paper exercise or how do you prevent it from being a paper exercise? I'm going to go there because when you process map and that's it's digital paper, but when you process map something, the intent is to show what does it look like today? What is the reality of all of those handoffs, how long they're taking, who's involved, what systems are pulled in and what data is flowing and it needs to almost be the foundation to trigger any kind of transformation, optimization, automation, because how do you understand the gaps from current state to target state if you're not starting with what today looks like? And so you don't want to make it, quote unquote, a paper exercise where you over-engineer it and over-document and over-capture, but you need, whether you want to call it a process light or something along those terms, at a minimum, you need to understand the process flow, where there are critical steps in that, and make sure that to Fred's point, your IT partners, your data partners, and everyone else downstream understands it and then can clearly articulate their requirements of the work that's to come. So start with process and then go into everything else. So you need, I'll add on top of that is what I've seen is that teams I've worked with have really embraced it. Like they want to understand the business. They want to understand the process. They want to have full context. So I think encouraging that, bringing those cross-functional teams together and making sure they see the practice that they can, and making sure they see how it aligns, what they're trying to do, I think makes it all fit together. Yeah. I would, the, the thing that I love is powerful that you said is people sometimes take these methodologies and approaches, whether they're in the Six Sigma, Lean, Agile, even going back to the waterfalls in the PMP days. And they sometimes will approach it in a literal sense. And it gets way too technical and bogged down on the administrative side. And before you know it, you're four or five months into the due diligence and the administrative exercise, and nothing has moved into designing the future, implementing, delivering, and learning forward. And so I, I love that you said, don't get too bogged down is really important. You need something that establishes your understanding of your current state. 
before you move into where you want to go in your future state, i.e. your transformation. And so it helps you map out, here's where we are, here's where we need to go. Are there light approaches to these things? I like to call it, Will, double-clicking and triple-clicking, right? Mm -hmm. So file a claim or, or pay my claim. There's the beginning, the middle, and the end of that. Just it's always having clarity of where does this interaction, and you could call it a process, an interaction, or an experience. Where does it start? Having clarity of like, where does it start? What are the different channels which those could be? Where does it end? When do you consider it done? What does success look like? And then along the way, I always like to say, go through that happy path. Don't call this a demaic. It's define, measure, analyze, improve, control. You lose the business team or the tech teams. You lose the folks you're working with when you start to make this very academic and you're using this technical term. So every time I've led operational excellence teams, I always say, just use street language. Say, we want to understand your flow of your workflow of what you do and then ask them that what do you do and what do you do next and what do you do next and why do you do this oftentimes you'll run into this answer especially from more tenured employees is we've always done it this way we've always done it this way and so then you have to double click into that and is it but is it required is it, who's requiring it who's asking for it who's it going to right there's this analogy of throwing something over the fence right over the wall and is there someone there to catch it are you building this for someone or is there no one there catching it? And do we even need to do it anymore? So it's like this polite interrogation with the right intention and understanding what's happening when you throw it over the wall. Your point earlier, of how does your work start? What triggers that? And it goes back to this point that we've talked about in earlier episodes about the culture of curiosity. There's a good intention there. So creating this culture of curiosity. So when someone comes and is politely interrogating the work to understand it. The word of curiosity and understanding are two good cultural attributes is what I'm hearing from you. That really helps the approach. I love that word. Don't make it a full academic exercise, but there are ways to do it and understand it. And the last thing, and I want to get into a question on change management, because I know you have a lot of experience around implementing and delivering in a change plan. But if you get into too much of that academic vocabulary, you're now creating a lot more change need in the environment. So if you start getting into an agile or Six Sigma vocabulary, now you got to take a step back and say, if you have to work with all those teams that you and Fred were just talking about, right? Now I got to educate everyone on this vocabulary. And you just gave yourself months of change management just to get people to understand the vocabulary and nomenclature. I love that. Make it simple. Talk in human language. Where has business process and these process approaches helped change management, which as you've talked about earlier, is a big component of delivery in a transformation. One one thing, I think something you needed to said was super powerful. And I almost feel like okay. you should weave it in. Okay. We've always done it this way. Yeah. Like that phrase is everyone knows that phrase and everyone has faced it. And there's something about oh, that with the change management, I think is really powerful. To answer your question about change management, I'm going to bring up value stream mapping, which we mentioned before, but didn't deep dive into. All these processes are really enabled to deliver some kind of value. So when someone says, we've always done it this way, you then have to ask that question, what value does doing it this way bring or not bring? And as you start to bring in new players and new partners, and they start to ask more curiosity questions to understand, that's where you start to tease out where there's greater value, where there's no value, and where you do things because they're regulatory required. And that clarity of value is really important because it helps to 
bring that success story and that change management effectiveness of why are we doing it? What are we going to get from it? For each quick win that you implement, you should be able to translate what value is this bringing, what value is the next thing bringing, and at the end of it all, how will this um, experience and journey and process be better? And change management helps with that because someone is asking who's being impacted, how are they being impacted, and what value are they getting from this? Amazing. So you need a, it's time for us to start wrapping up. And one thing that I'd love to hear from you before you go is if there's some advice that you would share with our listeners, advice that you would give leaders who are beginning a service transformation. Yes. First and foremost, start with the strategy. So you can set a clear vision for the teams. Next, make sure that measurability and change management are key components of the transformation. So you're speaking to the progress in terms of measurable value. And make sure that you are celebrating the small wins, build the conditions for success, make sure that you are showing up for those demos and that quarterly planning, that you're removing the obstacles, securing the funding, and making sure that all the partners are at the table so that everyone's voice and everyone's requirements can be heard from the design. And then last but not least is remember, the customer experience is only as good as the employee experience. Process maps, they don't have feelings. Systems, they don't have feelings. Take care of your people, listen to your teams, invest in their upskilling and reskilling, and by empowering and trusting in them, they are going to be the keys to success of your service transformation. That's great advice, Unita. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I've enjoyed learning and hearing more about your story and sharing your insights. Is there a way for our listeners to learn more about you, learn about your work? Yes, Fred. The easiest way would be for them to connect with me on LinkedIn here, right? However, I do have a website. It's yanira.com, and I'll spell it out because it's not a very common name. It's Y-H-A-N-I-R-A, yanira.com, and they can schedule a call with me. I'd love to talk to them more and explore ways where I could support their transformation. I could help with their talent strategy, which is something I'm extremely passionate about, or maybe even coach some of their executives to help develop them into high-performing leaders that have a process mindset, an agile mindset, and are empathetic with the teams who they lead. Um, lastly, I do, I can't get off without first saying Fred and Will, uh, I want to thank you both for having me as a guest on your podcast. Um, I got to talk to, about some of my most favorite themes, right? Transformation, process, agility, talent. Um, I hope our listeners feel more confident and more inspired in the work that they, in the work that they are leading as a result of this deep dive that we did today. And I do look forward to coming back. Awesome. And we'd love to have you back. So thank you, Yanita. Really great points today. Love thinking about a business process as a blueprint, the leadership lessons of showing up for your teams and using value stream maps to optimize your processes. We look forward to having you back in a future episode. For all of our listeners, you'll find Yanita's website, her LinkedIn profile, mine and Will's in the description. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback on the episode, feel free to reach out to myself or Will. Thank you all.